so there are quiet days and then there's not so quiet days but then there are days that are really really very very quiet and this could be one of those days not a lot happening on friday either except for the bank of japan and they didn't do anything and not much on the way of data to pour over over the weekend either so today well i have a feeling that i'm not selling this well why would you listen? Well, there's always the odd gem to emerge, isn't there? It's Monday, the 19th of June, 2023. It's the morning call from NAB. Good morning. So, currency-wise, Friday was a good day for the pound. It was up a quarter percent, a bad day for the Japanese yen, down 1.1%. It was down 1.7% across the entire week last week. Well, the pound and the Aussie dollar both up almost 2% last week. Why? Well, in part because the US dollar was down 1.3% on the DXY, and part of that will be uh, because the euro was up one and three quarter percent last week. And US equities uh, fell back at the end of the week, and the Nasdaq down 0.7% on Friday. The S&P lost 0.4%, but that was was a bad end to a strong week. Overall, last week, the S&P was up 2.6%, so was the DAX, and the NASDAQ was up 3.25%, but he's doing even better than Nikkei, up 4.5%. The Hang Seng and the CSI 300, both up 3.3%. The ASX gained 1.8% last week, uh, and more than half of that on Friday. And US Treasuries, well, uh, the action was certainly at the front end, two years uh, up almost seven basis points on Friday, and up 12 over the week. But German two-year bunds, flat on Friday. Aussie three years also flat at the end of the week, uh, settling in at 4.03%, same as 10 years, but three years came down a few basis points on futures since then. And commodities, well... 1.6% 1.6% for WTI, 2.4% over the week, 1.2% for Brent on Friday, uh, 2.4% over the week. And iron ore climbed a bit, 0.8% over the week. Big drops in thermal coal, though, losing 5.5% on Friday. And Ray Attrell is with me this morning from NAB in Sydney. And uh, look, it's been uh, it's a fairly quiet day ahead and fairly quiet day on Friday, but... Let's start maybe by looking at the Aussie dollar, because it's been choppy, hasn't it? Well, during the week last week, uh, it was doing okay, not so well on Friday, still below 70 US tents. What's what's going what's it going to take to get it over 70, Ray? Um, I think it's going to... Good morning, Phil. Yeah, good I think morning. it's going to take a continuation of the positive risk sentiment that we've had, um, you know, in the last few weeks. If I look at the mm. various sort of fundamental drivers of the Aussie dollar and sort of commodity linked currencies in general, it's really been interest rate sentiment, sorry, um, market sentiment first and foremost. Um, interest rates to some extent, obviously the, you know, the market being put on the scent of, uh, of tighter policy than it was expecting sort of just a month or so before. Um, and, you know, markets not really buying what the Fed's selling in terms of the messaging out of the FOMC last week. So I'd say first and foremost, it's risk sentiment. Um, uh, some auxiliary support from uh, from interest rate factors and commodity prices continue to have sort of scant influence. So, you know, we're still debating, mm. you know, whether there's a permanent shift in the relationship between oil and commodity prices in general and the currency. And, you know, certainly the view that a lot of the strength that we've seen in the last couple of years has really been driven by supply shocks rather than demand. I think maybe one of the reasons that that relationship is uh, is weakening. But um, yeah, and, and on top of that, obviously, the dollar is, uh, you know, the dollar's given back almost all of the gains that we've seen in May over the course of June. So, you know, Aussie's sort of gone from zero to hero in the space of about four weeks, really. And we're used to it sort of going up the stairs and down the elevator. But um, last couple of weeks, it's almost been the opposite of that. 
and a chunk, a chunk of that will be uh, Europe and the UK. So we, I mean, we saw a big rise in the in, in the pound last week. So presumably that is because of expectations that you know a more hawkish Bank of England uh, bond yields are going to be that much higher. Well, to some extent, yes. Obviously, we've got um, the CPI numbers, <coughs> excuse me, and the Bank of England this week, which I think uh, probably mm. sort of, well, apart from Jay Powell's testimonies to Congress, looks to me like uh, sort of top of the uh, top of the events pile there. Yeah, and there's obviously some yeah. risk that the Bank of England goes. Uh, 50 basis points. There's a strong consensus that they'll only do 25, which is also NAB's view. But um, certainly the market's flirting with the idea um, that the Bank of England might want to send a, 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 you know, a much louder shot across the bows, particularly of wage bargainers and, uh, um, you know, and companies if, if you know, there's any suggestion that uh, they're trying to profit from uh, the ability to pass on higher prices. So, uh, so let's see what this week brings. Right. So, I mean, that could mean stronger pound. If we see the same thing reflected in, in the euro as well, then that's going to impact the, the, the US that's right, dollar, yes. which, let's uh, remember that, could, which could push the no, Aussie. Well, let's remember that the, <clears throat> the US dollar indices that we always talk about, and you reference the DXY, what's the weight of the euro? 57.6%. Sorry, I don't yeah. know, it's two decimal places, yeah. but it's about that. And uh, sterling's over 10%. A large so, chunk of uh, you know, where the yeah. euro, Where euro dollar goes, effectively, the big dollar goes. So it is a case of sort of a rising tide in the case of the euro is a... Is a, is a a tide that floats all boats. So to some extent, that's just sort of playing to the, the weaker dollar theme, which is obviously providing a direct yeah. win for the Aussie. So Friday, we saw a big fall in the yen. So the Bank of Japan, uh, no change, no hint of any change in the future, but also uh, no denial of any change in the future either. In fact, they basically said nothing. Did they? But, uh, well, that's right. But uh, the hope was that they might have said something <laughs> to suggest that mm. when we come to uh, the next meeting at the end of July, um, you know, we will, they will, the Bank of Japan will have new forecasts. We will have had the conclusion of the annual wage rounds. And um, there's nothing in the, in the, although there was nothing definitive from Governor Ueda, there was nothing there in our minds to say, well, you know, he shut the door on July. Although he did say, you know, it could be the middle of the fiscal year, which would be what, late September, October, before we know whether our forecasts for inflation falling back are wrong, um, you know, and therefore we need to adjust thinking or not. But uh, taking, you know, reading the BOJ literally has, has usually been a, a bit of a widow maker when it comes to financial markets because the BOJ has such form in, in blindsiding markets, which we've had, you know, certainly on a couple of occasions in recent years where they've done almost the opposite. You were talking to Ken last week about uh, saying, well, never, we will never go negative on rates. And then doing it exactly that the week later. So um, but anyway, the message for markets was that, well, there's nothing there. And for now, um, we've got a bit of a free hit in continuing to weaken the yen. Um, we're up near 142 to the US dollar. Last time the um, MOF ordered the Bank of Japan to intervene, we were north of 145. So for the time being, at least, um, you know, I think that intervention threat is, is fairly low. But we're still you know, going into that July meeting thinking that uh, more likely than not, uh, there will be some sort of tweak to the YCC policy. And this US dollar versus the euro thing, I mean, that, that will be obviously impacted if there's this expectation that perhaps the uh, the Fed isn't going to be as hawkish as they've been suggesting. And if we had the University of Michigan Consumer Sentiment Survey, uh, which was which was strong, wasn't it? It came in at 63.9 from 59.2. Uh, it was only expected to rise to 60 uh, because of a, a, a rise in current conditions and consumer expectations. So obviously people aren't seeing things as bad as perhaps we thought they did. But what was interesting Interesting was the uh, the one year out inflation expectation, which has fallen from four point two percent to three point three percent. So uh, is that because people are thinking, well, the FOMC is 
going to work. It's going to they're going to do their work quickly, or are they thinking, well, it's going to crash the economy, and uh, so it's going to come crashing down. What's, um, I mean, well, you'd like to think that um, U.S. consumers are, are very sophisticated and they've passed the Fed and they've passed judgment on it. But the broad fact <laughs> is that energy and food prices both fell last month. They've done. Right. Those one-year expectations tend to follow. Um, mm. You know, those sort of high-frequency purchases that people made, and they have noticed some price drops there. I think the the, the ten-year, sorry, five to ten-year expectations coming back to three is marginally more significant, although it's still very much in the range. I think the Fed would prefer to see it um, clearly with a two in front of it, which we were around two and a half percent on average in the lead up to uh, to the pandemic. So a little bit high for comfort, but um, yeah. but a, a marginal comfort at least. And you know, as for the overall reading, yes, it's come up a couple of points, but it's still at very depressed levels. And I think, as we've said, you know, on many occasions, the read through from that reading to what consumers are actually doing has been noticeable by its absence. So I think it's still a case of watch what U.S. consumers do rather than what they say yeah and fed speakers still sounding very hawkish aren't they we had waller and barkin over the weekend and goldsby uh talking ominously about uh, the pause last week was a reconnaissance mission uh which says sounds very <laughs> ominous it's like well we are going further uh-huh. we're just checking out the uh, checking out the landscape yeah, no that was kind of interesting because goldsby has been uh, one of the uh, probably one of those that we would park in the more dovish uh, end of the spectrum uh, of uh, of uh, FOMC officials, so um, overall, yes, I mean, I think they're almost you know all Fed officials, you know, everybody signed up to the statement, or certainly all of the voting members, you know, agreed to the pause. But um, you know, and obviously the dots are suggesting that uh, there's two more rate rises. So I do think that uh, that dot plot, dare I say, was a little bit contrived. I think to send a very strong uh, signal to markets. So I think it was more designed as a signalling effect rather than a, a statement of intent that we fully expect to raise rates a couple more times at least but uh, obviously july is going to be very live as, as the fed chair intimated in the uh, in the press conference but yeah overall i'd say that uh, the commentaries that we had um from from waller from barkin and from gillsby all sort of aired on the on the side of us uh, certainly thinking we've got more to do yeah well a reconnaissance mission makes it sound like war doesn't it only I mean, we're the uh, we're on the wrong side of that i suspect and i'm sure jerome powell as you say he's talking isn't he? he's got two days of testimony this week in front of the house and the senate middle of the week i mean he can't speak for the entire board but i mean i guess he will be quizzed as to you know one or two hikes so, no absolutely and, and what are the conditions for that so you know it may be you know one of mm. those well you know if the data you know does surprise to the downside particularly with respect to inflation then uh, you know maybe we don't have to do that but uh, make no bones about it we are inflation is still uncomfortably high in our view and uh, on that basis we still have more to do although i would say you know if you really sort of dig down into the uh, inflation numbers. There was a good piece at the weekend, incidentally, in the New York Times from Paul Krugman that's saying that, uh, you know, if you really look at a lot of the inflation, you know, elements of inflation, particularly those, I would say that uh, that the Fed has the power to control in terms of those that do show sort of interest rate sensitivity. Um, you know, you could argue that some of these so-called sort of core core or super duper, as a couple of uh, people are now calling them, including Krugman, um, you know, are really fallen quite fast and, and suggest that the Fed's probably done what it 
needs to do mm. in terms of uh, bringing inflation back to target. So um, right. anyway, there'll be a, there'll be a lots to unpack. I think, particularly with respect to the current state of play with with various inflation measures this week. Well, I mean, the infl- the equity markets had a, didn't have a great day on Friday, but generally last week had a great. So as though you know they are expecting that at some point there there will be a shift, and they they're not going to do as much as they said. But anyway, we'll watch with interest. Look, there's an interesting piece in the uh, the AFR today about the RBA maybe about to embark on QT because of course they indicated earlier in the year that they wouldn't um, well they were going to hold on to bonds to to maturity basically but the AFR a story suggesting that they may be ready to to you know switch change direction although a few months yet not till the end of September at least yeah well there was a hint wasn't there in the um, in the May and the minutes of the May RBA meeting that sort of put the market on the scent they used some words you know, that uh, suggested that, um, you know, some sort of uh, unwind of, of the balance sheet via QT could be coming sooner rather than later. But as the piece um, from John Keogh actually makes clear, um, you know, it, nothing's really contemplated before September, which is where roughly half of that $84 billion worth of, uh, of TFF funding starts to roll off. Um, they're also saying that any sales will be gradual um, um, and they could be sold back to the AOFM rather than necessarily or bonds sold to the uh, to the debt management agency rather than necessarily investors. But from a market point of view, um, you know, if they're selling bonds back to the AOFM, um, then presumably the AOFM is going to have to issue more bonds to cover them. So whether they sell them to investors or whether they sell them back to the government effectively, then, um, you know, other things Same equal, impact. you'd put you'd say, well, yeah. more bond supply. Uh, other things equal, you know, some upward pressure on uh, on bond yields compared to what otherwise might be the case. So, yeah, an interesting story. I haven't fully unpacked it at this time of the morning, but uh, right. I think it'll be a big talking point in the interest rate markets uh, today part of the week. Yeah. All right. Very quiet today. We need something to talk about, don't we? Because not a lot going on. We've got the uh, the latest NAHB housing market uh, index for the United States, the uh, performance services index for New Zealand. That is just about it. And, you know, not a, a blisteringly busy week uh, ahead either. Uh, thank goodness, actually, because it's been a, uh, who knows what craziness is going to come our way, of course. You know, I'm saying that. And then, you no, everything can go to park, can't it? No, absolutely. And obviously, it's the Juneteenth um, public holiday in the US today. So stocks and bonds, or at least cash market, uh, are closed. So that should make for uh, a relatively quiet week. But we had a four-day week in Australia last week, and it certainly wasn't dull, was no. it? So uh, as you say, maybe Tuesday through Friday, we'll get some more fireworks. Yeah. But uh, yeah, well, the calendar, at least, is, is a lot quieter than it was last week. Yeah, right. Okay, well, we'll see what happens. Good to talk, Ray. Catch you next time. Will do. Thanks, Phil. It's a bit rubbish, isn't it, calling it Juneteenth, really giving what it's all about is that the best they can do anyway that's it for today i'm back again tomorrow morning i'm phil dobby for now see you then have a great day